0: Hello, I'm Mark, and this is the Fast Track Impact podcast for researchers who want to be more productive and achieve real-world impacts from their research. Well, I hope you all had a very enjoyable Easter holiday. I've had a bit of a hiatus on the podcast, uh, taking some time out myself. Um, I thought uh, actually, as I come back, it's worth updating you on uh, a few developments actually uh, that have, uh, that have been going on in uh, in fast track impact um, that you may find useful. Uh, so uh, we uh, launched um, a couple of months ago now, and I never told you. I'm sorry. A pathway to impact builder. So uh, this is uh, an online tool. Uh, if you just go to our resources page, that's probably the easiest way to find it. And um, you uh, basically ask uh, answer to ten questions in about thirty minutes. That's all it takes. Thanks. Um, and uh, and then uh, that uh, your questions then get uh, stitched together in uh, a relevant order uh, and spewed out the other side as a word document um, that uh, is structured as a impact summary and a pathway to impact. Um, so that's um, the structure that uh, you typically have to use in a UK grant application. Uh, but I would argue that uh, stick those two things together and uh, whatever uh, funder you're applying to, you've got all the stuff that. You you need. This is, of course, a first draft, um, but it's a Word document, so you can just directly go in then and uh, start editing it. Uh, and the idea is that uh, I'm trying to build capacity uh, for good practice. Um, uh, of course, I've uh, come for with some criticism here. I'm making life far too easy for academics. It's a one-size-fits-all approach, etc. and it's not. Uh, these are questions, so everyone will have different answers to the question. Every single one of these things will be unique. Um, uh, And actually, these questions have been developed based on the theory uh, and practice of what works. I've trialled it uh, quite extensively. Uh, and uh, and so the idea is what little time you do spend. Um, there's a bit of a theme repeating here through this podcast and everything I do. If you've not noticed, uh, whatever little time you do have, maybe half an hour. Uh, well, great. Now I've got something which is actually a really good first start to start. Um, uh, and um, and yeah, even if you uh, submit it as it is um, in that 30 minutes, you'll get uh, acceptable, I would argue. Uh, but of course, let's uh, let's aim for uh, for uh, for excellent and uh, and do something really good with this. So. So try it out, Um, it really does work and um, it will save you some time and help you raise your game. Uh, Of course, don't forget, uh, linked to that you can see uh, my best practice library of uh, examples of pathways to impact, mainly from UK funders and European. Um, but uh, if you've got an example of a pathway to impact or whatever impact sections of whatever grant in whatever country you're in, let me know. I'd love to see it and review it, and if I agree it's an example of good practice, I'll stick it in the library. So, uh, of course, uh, it goes without saying, this is not for copying. Uh, This is for inspiration and spreading good practice and innovation uh, across the sector. Um, Do check that out. Uh, I've also started a a vlog in addition to my podcast, so uh, approximately once a week, Uh, I'm aiming for once a week, we'll see how we get on, I've pretty much managed so far. Um, I'm putting out a video between five and ten minutes Um, uh, and the emphasis here is uh, tips, uh, practical things that can help you do impact more efficiently and effectively. So uh, the first two are the techniques that I use all the time to fix problems with uh, either significance or reach in my impact. So uh, I've got something pretty far-reaching but nobody cares or I've got something amazing for one company one community whatever how can I now uh, get some reach for this Uh, and then the last two that I've done have been on evidence Uh, so the most recent one um, uh, was on how to evaluate your impact without annoying people with questionnaires Um, so getting quite creative so uh, check that out they've got under publications now you can see vlog and you can uh, see all of them Uh, And then one final thing to update you on is the Unsung Impact Prize. So if you remember, I think it was December I last talked to you about this. Uh, I uh, launched a prize um, and uh, we got our entries in. We evaluated them. We have chosen a winner. Uh, so uh, we will be uh, announcing this winner with the next issue of the Fast Track Impact magazine. So um, uh, this is one of those um, projects that uh, it's a a good thing to do, but uh, I never quite managed to find time to publish it on time, Uh, and we're so far only, what is it, four months, almost five months late? (laughs) Uh, The goal is, uh, within the month, uh, we will have the next issue of the Fast Track Impact magazine, and in that, uh, I will be announcing the, the winner of the Unsung Impacts prize. So Uh, I think it's really important just to to think about the kind of impacts that inspire us that are morally the right thing to do, um, that, that are hugely important and yet are unlikely to ever get rewarded in the academy, in research evaluation exercises and the like. Uh, so that thing that benefited one person, but it changed their lives, um, or uh, changed the world, but we can't uh, completely prove that it was all us that was behind it, for example. Uh, so lots of great uh, great and inspiring stories, and you can read about that in the magazine. Um, and I'll, I'll do a podcast episode about it as well, so you can uh, find out more about The Entrance and, uh, and be inspired as well. So Uh, This week, uh, I want to uh, dive into creativity, um, and I'm going to look at this at two levels. I'm going to look primarily at this um, from a professional perspective, but I'm going to also look at this from from a personal perspective and what we can bring personally to our creativity. Essentially, this is uh, about finding creativity in dark places, uh, in the places that you wouldn't normally look. Uh, And the suggestion that actually when you look in those dark, challenging uh, places, that you often find a deeper well of creativity than you do if you just go with the the more playful um, approaches to generating creativity, not that there's anything wrong with them. Um, uh, and the, the other idea here that I want to get across, um, it's not just where you look for creativity, but whether or not you're able to pair that creativity with enough determination to actually make your good ideas um, genuinely creative. So... Uh, in uh, in academia, uh, you hit lots of barriers, um, which means that actually the creative process is not that straightforward. Uh, if only uh, being an academic was as easy as just coming up with good ideas, wouldn't that be wonderful? Uh, the problem is, um, uh, no matter how creative and original this idea is, you have to now overcome multiple barriers in the review process. Um, multiple barriers in terms of, well, I did the experiment, it didn't work. Um, well, well, let's uh, come up with a new hypothesis, and let's keep going. Pick myself up, uh, and on we go. The, the the creative spark is still there. I haven't quite given up uh, on this uh, on this idea yet. Um, uh, and the same goes with uh, with impact um uh, so uh, whatever you're trying to achieve you can have an amazing idea and so I've had a few of these um uh, and um, uh, and actually it's the, the the small proportion of the creative ideas I've had that I've actually pursued all the way through that ultimately had any value because actually they came out of my mind through my research and actually entered the world as a thing that benefited someone um, so so yeah let's be creative and that's part of the program. But let's make sure we pair this with enough determination to actually uh, create something that is of value and that is artful. And so I hope what you're beginning to see now is um, where where I'm going with this, which is that uh, that actually it is uh, the challenge. Uh, whether it's a peer review process, the the, the barriers on our pathway to impact, that very often um, are part and parcel of the creative process. Uh, But they're not just simply obstacles to overcome. Uh, If instead of simply trying to ignore, uh, get around, defend against, uh, we embrace and look at those challenges and our limitations in the face of those challenges, uh, then uh, we actually enable uh, those those barriers to inform what we do, shape what we do, and very often we find that the the outcome is uh, is way more creative uh, and has way more value and is way more relevant um, uh, than it would have been uh, if this had all been plain sailing uh, without any uh, without any challenge. So uh, we're looking at adversity as our friend here, looking into uh, the darkness, taking leaps of faith into the unknown to discover our creativity and discover sources of creativity that we would never have found had we not taken those leaps into the the, the darkness. So, um, yeah, I think most of the great art that you see uh, in the world um, is, uh, at least in terms of the stories I've heard, uh, but very often. It's born of adversity. And some of the most creative research um, has uh, come out of significant personal or professional sacrifice, um, people who've had to jump over multiple hurdles to eventually reach publication um, or uh, or impact. Um, Uh, And very often, if it were not for that adversity, uh, then the ultimate insight or benefit may not have been as profound or as useful. Uh, I certainly know some of the the papers that I'm proudest of in terms of creativity um, are the ones that went through the most torturous peer review processes. Um, And at the end of the day, uh, generally speaking, uh, those torturous papers, uh, I look at the first draft compared to the last draft. and I'm like, wow, I'm so pleased that I didn't ever publish it in its original form. Uh, And it's the same, of course, with with impact. So rather than seeing these barriers as problems, let's see see if we can reframe them as part of the creative process and see how that then spurs us to greater creativity and enables us to extract even more value in the end. So I want to think now um, uh, about personal adversity, limitation, challenge, um, and whether we can put that into the mix as well. Because for many of us, professionally, uh, what achievements we do have uh, are actually against the backdrop of uh, various natural um, disadvantages, uh, whether that is that English is not my first language, whether it's that I'm dyslexic um, or whatever else uh, that, that we have in the mix there that means that, yeah, this is harder for me than for other people. I don't get any allowances for this stuff, but but yeah, I, I overcome uh, this stuff uh, day to day to, just uh, to actually do the stuff that everyone else, I figure, finds... Uh, a lot more more easily uh, than me. Um, and um uh, and here um uh, I, I've been learning uh, over Easter uh, from uh, a course in it's a philosopher come theologist, uh, I guess. Uh, so, so the course is called uh, Atheism for Lent., um, uh, so if you're interested in it, um it's uh, Pete Roland Rowland, w a. Just uh, Google uh, atheism for length. There's only one of them uh, out there and you can have a look at this. Um, So uh, challenging. (coughs) Oh, that's my window shutting. Sorry. Uh, I'll shut that properly. There we go. Um, Challenging on a fairly deep level, um, uh, especially if you have uh, a pre-existing faith. Um, but the idea is that you you look into the darkness, uh, you look into the possibility that there is nothing, um, uh, uh, to the point that you fully believe that uh, and engage with all of the philosophical, philosophical arguments for why uh, there is uh, nothing. Uh, and you see what you find there. Uh, and uh, this is about lowering your defenses, uh, stopping just making up excuses and defending and uh, and avoiding those those existential questions, um, but actually looking them in the face and seeing actually uh, if there is uh, a place of deeper authenticity. Uh, that feels more real uh, to you, uh, and you become more deeply yourself. Uh, or perhaps there's some other form of faith that lies beyond um, that uh, that that wordless, empty space. Um, and um, and I think for for me what uh, that has enabled me to to do is just to think um, uh, on a on a more personal level uh, about how uh, the creativity that uh, I express through my research and what I do in fast track impact uh, is in fact uh, born of um, of my personal uh, circumstances and. Uh, and what I notice as I kind of look through it is that there are these pairs of things that kind of go together that you can't um, separate. Um, so um, the, the fact that uh, light uh, and day follows night, uh, and actually you wouldn't be able to delineate day um, or appreciate the light if it were not for the darkness of the, the light. Uh, the fact that I feel on top of the world right now, um, I, I only appreciate how good it feels to be on top of the world in this moment, um, in contrast to the knowledge of what it feels like to be at the depths uh, of, of sorrow and, and depression. Um, uh, and uh, and for me, two particular um, pairs, um, which this uh, podcast episode was born of, uh, were um uh, the uh, the idea that um uh, that my anger um, uh, was uh, was transformed into determination and that my sorrow was transformed into hope and creativity um, and actually for me uh one of the most interesting um parts of what i learned in this course was that this was beyond transforming uh, and that that actually that isn't the goal, because the the idea that I transform, I change my anger into determination, that I replace my sorrow with hope and creativity is actually fundamentally um, unlikely to be sustainable and actually psychologically unhealthy. Uh, It's actually about uh, holding on to that anger and that sorrow and accepting that, yeah, there are things that have happened to me that make me angry uh, and that are a source of sorrow on a day to day basis. And I own that and I accept that. And with the other hand, I also hold the pair that goes with that uh, and the knowledge that actually from that determ- from that um, that anger, there is a steely determination that uh, that I have that has enabled me over the years to just get my head down and keep going. Um, uh, That that sense of injustice that has enabled me to say, you know what, Uh, almost, no matter what the price, I keep going because I fight for the justice to make things right. Uh, and I've certainly noticed that there have been times in my life where everyone else has fallen by the wayside and said, yeah, it's too much effort, it's too high risk, I'm not prepared to do that. Uh, and I carry on, I take that risk. Uh, and of course, uh, yeah, as a risk taker, it doesn't always work out. Um, but I see that difference um, as actually being something that is born of this deep well of anger I have at the injustices that I've experienced in my personal life. Um, uh, and and I think that, that for me that is a really positive reframing um, and when you pair that then with the fact that um, that I have a huge well of sorrow in my life as well, um, as most of us I would argue have, um, if you've lost something and we've all lost something um, and you're open and, and you're honest about what that loss genuinely means to you, um, then... Uh, actually, what I see is I hold that that sorrow um, uh, in in my hand, and in this case, this is the the loss of uh, of my brother. Um, he's still alive, which of course makes it even uh, more more painful. Uh, there is a heart wrenching uh, sorrow that that I have on a day to day basis. That I don't know where he is. I don't know if he's safe. I don't know what might be happening to him. Um, uh, and as my children grow up, um, uh, with each and every new development, um, there is at some point a pang of sorrow that he's not getting to to to, to enjoy that and to to be part of that. Uh, given how important our children were to him uh, before we we lost contact with them. Um, but as I hold that, that sorrow and accept that that yeah, I I'm going to have that sense of of sorrow. I'm going to have that sense of 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 justice leading to injustice, leading to uh, to to anger. Uh, there is then this 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 sense of hope. Uh, that I have um, because actually I believe uh, that that this person cannot physically um, continue to prevent him from accessing us and us from accessing him in perpetuity. I don't know whether it's five years, 10 years, 20 years, but this cannot be forever. Um, and so there is that sense of hope that one day uh, we will be back in touch um, and a belief that it will be like uh, that it was just a, a bad dream uh, a blink of the eyelid, and and we go back to being how we always were together as brothers, um, uh, and and you know that idea of hope. Uh, if you look at the psychological literature, it is it is so central to a, a human's sense of purpose and meaning, and the belief that life is worth living, uh, that it is worth continuing putting one foot in front of the other no matter what your circumstances are. And I realise that actually um, I I have a deeper source, a deeper well of hope because I have to have a source of hope that is very, very deep in order to counter um, uh, the the, the sorrow uh, and be able to hold that sorrow without it consuming me. And uh, and then uh from that sense of hope uh, that i have uh, for me there there is a i can only speak of this metaphorically but for me as i hold that hope there it, it feels like it's it's like a flower uh, and i hold this this hope in in my hand and it's like a flower that is budding and is opening to to light and Uh, And as I go into the world um, with that steely determination born of injustice and anger to do what I can to make the world a better place. uh, I think that I could potentially become a very hard person who seeks justice no matter what. Uh, whoever gets in my way, I will batter them down because I am going to achieve justice because actually this is a reaction against a whole load of unconscious things that that, that is actually not tempered by anything. Um, and for me, the the fact that, uh, that this is uh, held with a sense of hope means that uh, that as I pursue these research processes to impact and I have the determination to pursue them all the way to benefit, to make the world that better place. Uh, From that well of hope comes this flowering of creativity that says, hey, it hasn't worked this time. Um, There is hope that this can work if we try again. Uh, There is uh, not just that steely determination, we will make this happen no matter what, but uh, a flowering of hope that says, let's just hold on here, let's just reflect, let's just wait, maybe the time is not yet, uh, and let's just see where, where this goes um, uh, as we hold that sense of failure um, and uh, the, the frustration that things didn't work uh, with that sense of hope that it might work if we just wait until the right idea strikes. Um, uh, instead of just forcing and forcing and forcing through and being impatient with this, there is this then patience, calm that comes from that hope that uh, I experience as uh, creativity with determination so that I actually then achieve the things that uh, that I want to do. And so I want to to, to get you to think about this. Uh, I'm going to get you to think about this personally but also prof- professionally. What might be some of those things that you would pair? Uh, together uh, what might be uh, the opposite of or the complement to or uh, the flower that that buds from that dark soil that um, uh, that uh that's that's yeah that that's, is where you feel that that pain that suffering that that experience that that holds you back and that is uh that is a limitation um uh, and can you hold those those negatives those limitations those challenges um, and accept them and own them as authentically you without having to necessarily transform them into anything good they are there uh, they hurt they they limit you um, and that's just part of who you are. Um, but to say, yeah, that's part of who I am and I value that. And actually, in some respects, because of those things, I have these things which are positive, that are born of them and that are uniquely me and that enable me to be more creative and to achieve things that I would otherwise not be able to achieve in my professional or in my personal life. So what are those things on a personal level? Uh, and then finally i want to uh, have a think about this on a more professional level just kind of focus this back in on how can you be a more creative researcher by uh pairing determination with creativity and by looking on purpose at the darkness at your limitations at the uncertainty at the yeah uh, the the unknown um And so uh, I I just basically thought, well, what are all the different ways that I have found um, enable me to be creative? So practical things that I've tried, um, philosophical things that I've tried, um, and um, which of these are actually about looking into the darkness to find creativity? Uh, and actually, the majority of them, um, in some shape or form, have this dynamic as part of them. Uh, and as I relooked at the methods that I use day-to-day to become more creative, I realised that there is this deeper source of creativity and there's a reason, perhaps, why these things work. Um, so, uh, so I've got how many? I've got four, five of these ideas, I think. Um, so, the the first um, as a, a, an idea, a way of becoming more creative on purpose, is to uh, to find um, the kind of places or spaces you need to think creatively. Um, So this is a very common one, um, and um, and I think most academics are familiar with the idea that I need uh, not just time to think, I need to create the right environment to think. So for some of us, it's about sitting in your office, tidy, uh, with a nice cup of coffee, uh, whatever it is. Uh, uh, Maybe it's going for a walk, um, maybe it's debate, uh, but whatever it is, you need to create those spaces for creativity to flourish. Great. Great. but what i've discovered actually is that um uh, that actually in the same way that day is carved from night uh, actually you create these creative spaces by carving them out from the uncreative Space that surrounds them, which is full of deadlines, of chatter, uh, of uh, uh, unrealistic expectations, um, uh, fear, uh, or, or imposter syndrome, uh, uh, all of these other things. Uh, and so, um, there is this deeper space that you begin to create when you realise. Well, for me, my my my, uh, my creative space, and ask yourself, what is it? What is it? Is it that walk? Is it my study? Um, Actually, what is it that I have carved that out from, and what is the negative reverse of, uh, of that creative space? Um, uh, because if you understand that then you can actually carve out a much deeper creative space that is actually way way more creative uh, and so for me um uh, this is uh, about creating a, a space that is free from um uh, the pressure of deadlines um the 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 fear of going wrong um and and an imposter uh, imposter syndrome um uh, and so uh, if I haven't dealt with that, then I can do all that I want uh, physically to create that time and I'm in the right place in the world to create that space. And as I say, sit there, there are these jabbing thoughts of, oh my goodness, I haven't done that. And, oh, I've only got this amount of time to finish it. The pressure of deadlines. Um, and then the the voice of the reviewer on my shoulder, um, imposter syndrome and great idea, but oh, that would never work. And, oh, and I start editing those thoughts before I even put pen to paper. And actually, you know, what? It was a waste of space. It was a waste of time. I thought I created that creative space, but it didn't work. Why didn't it work? Well, actually, it's because it's not just about going for a walk or creating a, a nice office. Um, it's, it's actually about um, something a bit deeper. So ask what is the opposite of your creative space uh, and think about how you can now uh, look into that negative uh, opposite space. Uh, and uh, in so doing, create uh, a space in which you can think even more creatively. So I'm now facing the causes of my uh, imposter syndrome. Uh, I'm dealing with why I feel so nervous about this, why I feel like I'm going to fail, why this might never work. Um, uh, Who it is that I'm trying to please? Who is joshing me somehow um, on some some subconscious level? Um, And I'm dealing with that before I go into my uh, creative space. And as a result, there are no jabbing feelings of imposter syndrome. And I do that creative thinking. Uh, I'm uh, sitting down and I'm looking at at my deadlines. I'm looking at my diary and I'm saying, right, uh, I've got all those things to do. That's when I'm going to do them. And I'm protecting this space. And this will not in any way impinge on my ability to do those deadlines. I stop worrying about the deadlines and I sit and I think. Great. Um, so as part of that, I think that for, for, for me one of the biggest blocks of creativity is that internal critic. Um, uh, and so, um, uh, so, so for me, um, uh, this is about um, again looking at the darkness uh, rather than just trying to ignore the fact that there is this inner critic in some dark place within myself, um, and trying to uh, create a light, nice environment for myself. I'm looking at who is that critic, uh, ultimately. Um, uh, what is that internal conversation I'm having with myself? Can I actually verbalize that and put that into words and write that down? Hold on, that is crazy. That is stupid. What, do I actually think that? No. Um, uh, and ultimately, well, who is the person sitting behind that critic? Critic? Is it uh, my overbearing father? Uh, is it uh, my 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 violin teacher who destroyed my confidence in uh, in grade eleven or whatever it is? Um, uh, and and actually on stand now as I look in the, those dark places. Uh, that there are reasons uh, why I never have the confidence of my convictions to actually pursue that thought to the end to uh, to to well yeah maybe I managed to get enough time and space to do some creative thinking but I never actually put it into practice and I never extract the value for that and so yeah I've got creative ideas but I'm never artful I never actually create anything enough of value to really feel like this was ever satisfying uh, so look into that darkness uh, to, to create the those, those safe spaces. Um, uh, this this one is uh, is a bit challenging as, a, as an academic, um, uh, uh, and this uh, is the idea of uh, diving into um, uh, a space of illogicality um, uh, and uncertainty and uh, suspending um, reason <laughs> in order to become more creative, um, uh, and um, uh, and so. Um, as an academic, you think, well, uh, I, I need to build on theory. Um, I need to look at what uh, methods are available to me. Uh, I'm building on my literature review. That's where I start. Um, and there is a, there's there's a there's a formula uh, that we you, that you go through as a researcher uh, to uh, build on the shoulders of giants, so to speak. Uh, and as a result of, uh, of that formula, it's actually really hard to be creative because uh, as you read and you read, you discover actually that everyone's had lots of great ideas and there's no room for any more new ideas. And you do something kind of incremental that kind of tweaks at the edges of things and is not genuinely original and, uh, and, uh, and groundbreaking. And um, uh, and so the the suggestion here is uh, to 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 jump off that cliff edge into um, uh, into a, a space where you suspend logic and reason, um, and there are lots of methods that can do this. So the most common uh, example of this uh, as a method would be brainstorming. Um, uh, I like doing this in a group setting as the most creative, but just doing it by yourself. Um, so I'm now uh, purposefully. Uh, not thinking through what I'm saying um, and trying uh, now as much through the process of word association as through uh, anything else just to say, well, what about this and this and now this idea and we could do this and let's try that and, and you keep that energy going. Um, uh, and uh, there's a load of stuff there that is complete rubbish, but every now and then there is this insight that is, wow, yeah, that is something quite um, quite special. So, um, Uh, And um, just to to think about this in a a different way, Um, uh, one of the things that that I like to do, um, uh, which I admit goes against the the advice I give to my PhD students um, on a regular basis, I should maybe um, revise my feedback actually, (laughs) but um, what I do when um, I I want to come up with something really original uh, in my research is uh, that uh, I I take it for granted that I've got a basic understanding of the thing, well, it's something within my research area. So there's this this kind of basic level of knowledge, which is probably why, yeah, as a PhD student, you do need to start with your literature review. But let's just um, leave that foundation untouched. (laughs) Um, But let's assume you've got a kind of a fairly good general knowledge of your discipline, the area that you're trying to work in, um, and now you're hitting up against this particular challenge Um, Right, I want to do some creative thinking on this, and so Uh, What I do is I start um, by purposefully resisting the urge um, of my rationality and my training to go to the literature and read and do that methodical thing that we usually do as researchers to find out, right, what has been tried? What hasn't worked? What have we learned from that? And how do I then build on everything we currently know about how we might be able to address this particular challenge? Instead, I start with that blank sheet of paper um, and I wait until I can come up with as many ideas as I can. Uh, Now, uh, there's a whole load of things I don't know and I'm still, uh, as I go through these, I get more and more tempted to go to the literature. Well, this sounds a bit naive, but um, if time was limitless, if resources were uh, uh, unlimited as well, um, then what about if we were to just try doing something like this uh, or that? Um, uh, and um, and yeah, I'm aware that these are perhaps naive, but I'm not going to the literature. I'm just saying, well, yeah, and then you would try this, and then that would lead to the next thing. And huh, there's one approach. Well, what else is there? And let's just wait again. And are there any other ideas that uh, that come out um, uh, as I'm doing this? Um, uh, and uh, very often it doesn't work, and uh, you go to the literature and you discover, yeah, okay, so I had three ideas. Uh, They were all tried in the 1970s, and they all failed for good reason, Um, and, uh, and nobody solved this yet. But every now and then, uh, in the same way as so with brainstorming, one of those ideas, because you did not constrain your mind with the constructs and limitations and theories of what everyone else has done, uh, you hit or gu- you hit upon something which is actually genuinely original. Um, uh, and now, uh, okay, this looks like it might work. Um, we've got a job to do here uh, because yeah, there are some assumptions I've made here. It might be a bit naive at the edges. Well, let's let's see where this goes. And very often you come up with something which is. Uh, much more radically different, Um, and as a creative process, I would argue, that uh, is more likely to lead to radical innovation uh, rather than uh, incremental. Uh, two more. Uh, so um, uh, this, uh, I'm going to give you a health warning here. I, I do like everything to be evidence based. I have not investigated the evidence base behind this particular one. Um, I got it from a TED talk. Um, so it could be worse. It could be Wikipedia or, or, or somewhere else. <laughs> but it was a TED talk. Um, uh, I can't even remember who it was. Now it was ages ago um, about procrastination. Um, uh, and the suggestion is that um, uh, more uh, people who procrastinate more are more creative. Um, Interesting idea. Um, uh, and what I'm suggesting here is um, again that we look into uh, the, the the dark face of procrastination. We've all looked at this uh, many times before, uh, and it's not a pretty sight. <laughs> uh, well, it actually depends on on your your chosen method of procrastination. It might be actually quite attractive, to be honest. Um, but I'm looking at, at procrastination here, um, uh, and I'm seeing procrastination as my friend. Um, and what this uh, this particular gentleman suggests is that there is a way of harnessing procrastination to enable you to be more creative. And so uh, it's not just simplistically uh, people who procrastinate are more creative. Uh, There is one condition here, uh, which is that you're given a task um, and you pop that into a back room of your mind uh, onto uh, a back burner, so to speak. Um, So yeah, I've been given this task, got this challenge, I need to find a way of solving this at some point. Um, And um, yeah, maybe you've got a deadline associated with this and maybe it's a few months uh, in advance. And um, what uh, this guy does is he uh, presents some research, and I do not know how rigorous this is, but he um, he puts this research up on the screen and draws some graphs with it. Um, and um, uh, uh, and the reason I'm not worried about the rigor of this is that philosophically this makes sense, and um, and there's something quite practical and useful that I think experientially works. So so just bear with me here. Um, so. Um, so uh, the the person who gets the task and says right, um, I got to do it, uh, so I might as well do it now while it's fresh in my mind. Here we go, um, and uh, I've got three months to do it, but by the end of the week, here you go, job done. Uh, I've written my report, paper, whatever it is. Um, yeah, maybe not a paper in the week. Who knows? <laughs> and um, and great, uh, job done. Uh, by contrast, the procrastinator, if you have stuck that into that back room, onto that back burner, and you're just mulling it over in your subconscious, uh, then what happens is over those three months now, uh, you start putting two and two together and uh, realize, huh. Uh, I was going to uh, write it along these kind of lines. Uh, that seems the obvious way to do this, but I've just, um, in my case, gone on a course about um, uh, about atheism, um, and I've just uh, put together a whole load of uh, dots that has turned a podcast about creativity into something much deeper than I thought it was going to be, um, because I held on to this, um, and I've been working on these ideas for, yeah, for a few weeks now. Um, uh, and uh, and you start seeing all these new opportunities and uh, thinking about it in different ways. And when you actually come to write this, you write something uh, which is much more creative than the obvious answer that you would have gone to if you had just attacked it instantly. There is one other thing that happens. This is something that uh, that I wrote about in The Pro- Productive Researcher, um, uh, which is Uh, he talks about in his TED talk, but uh, for me, it's something that I've experienced as well, which is the procrastinator then ends up with a problem of a deadline, because the deadline is tomorrow, and actually, I've left this to the last minute. Um, But uh, again, Uh, This is uh, not a a universal thing, Uh, so there are some assumptions I'm making here. Um, If I leave myself uh, an hour to write an entire paper, I am going to write complete rubbish. Uh, This is not going to go well for me. Uh, So uh, I'm leaving myself enough time, um, but now I've left myself usually a slightly uncomfortable uh, amount of time. So I've got now uh, one day to uh, write this short report. Um, uh, And yeah, I would quite like longer than this, but I've got a day, Um, and now what I do is uh, this is now so urgent I have no choice that I clear my diary, I turn off my email, uh, I focus, uh, and actually I spend probably the same amount of time that the person who wrote it in a week uh, to start with spent, and they spread that time over different days at different times, uh, and it was quite bitty. But I'm now doing this, having done some quite deep thinking over these three months, uh, and I'm doing it in a day, and I'm doing some really focused work, and I'm shutting everything else out. And actually, uh, that time that I write in is actually higher quality thinking time, writing time, and I actually produce something higher quality and more productive, sorry, more creative uh, as a result of my procrastination. So rather than running away from it, rather than uh, trying to defend against it, uh, beating myself up against it, maybe I could look at procrastination in the face and actually find something good from that. Uh, hey, that's just me. Uh, I seem to never learn that lesson. Um, so let's just embrace that part of who I am and say, uh, with some good management, i putting this into uh, into a back room of my mind and making sure I do organize my time to have enough time. Actually, maybe I turn this into a strength. Uh, last one here is uh, limitations, and this is a well-known uh, way of stimulating creativity, uh, one of the reasons why Twitter worked um, and gained crap traction, can I say it, in uh, this number of characters, um, and why they've been uh, so uh, uh, nervous about ever increasing that. Um, haiku as a form uh, of uh, poetry, um, uh, five syllables in the first, then seven, and five syllables in the last line, three lines of poetry. Um uh, and, uh, and it's incredible you, you try it yourself um, and uh, this is not going to be a, an incredible work of art but you can get some really quite creative stuff coming out that, that has that has beauty uh, and it's because of that uh, of that limitation uh, a word limit um, uh, in uh, in a paper um, uh, that uh, forces you to take a, a different approach to what would feel comfortable or uh, or easy. Um, uh, and of course uh, it is again uh, that tension that that opposite it, it is the constraint that forces you uh, to face your limitations that actually stimulates the creativity so uh this um uh, you know, th- th- let me let me give you one one more brief, brief one um so it kind of comes back to some of the stuff on um on, on your critics. Um, I I recently had an experience of um, uh, supervising a a PhD student Um, who was actually quite deeply critical of my own work. Um, And um, uh, and so this could have been a a challenging supervisory uh, relationship, but I I chose to take this as an opportunity to learn. Uh, And so he was coming from a very different disciplinary background. He was an applied anthropologist. Um, and, um, and he made a, a, a fairly um, deep critique of some of my work on participation, uh, where I had claimed that, uh, that actually, yeah, context matters, um, but there are certain um, design principles that if you get these small things right and avoid those particular things, uh, then pretty much independent of context, you can make participation work and deliver uh, outcomes for the people and environment that you're working with that, that, that work for for people. And of course, as an anthropologist, um, uh, he was instantly uh, sceptical of this um, and pointed out um, to me uh, all of the reasons why, in fact, context um, is so important and and why I need to have a a dual focus uh, on design and context um, at the same time. Uh, And and so at the end of this, uh, we have a PhD thesis and, uh, and, uh, in theory, uh, some papers uh, at at a certain point, uh, not yet. Um, that are going to be critical of uh, of my former published work, and I'm going to be public, I'm going to be co-authoring those uh, those papers. Um, uh, and, uh, and I thought I'd just add this in as a, as a challenge um, uh, in terms of looking at your critics. Uh, I think that so often as academics, it's so easy to just. Uh, Go into my disciplinary silo, all the other people who think like me and who will give me a pat on the back and say, don't worry, it's all right, we believe you, uh, and uh, and to defend against the critics uh, of my work, uh, rather than to actually look my critics in the eye and say, you know what, maybe there's something that I could learn from you. Um, and could you actually see the situation of publishing a paper that demolishes um, one of your own former uh, papers um, and explains why, in fact, you might have been wrong? Um, I've not yet done it, um, but that is the plan. Um, uh, and I think it's it's a challenging plan, um, uh, and it certainly challenges me. Uh, it requires a level of humility. Um, but, uh, but it's a worked example of uh, the, the the joy of actually delving into uh, the, the depths of, of what is dark, what is challenging, what is uncertain, what is uncomfortable, uh, to harness that rather than just have to de- defend um, uh, against it. So uh, that is it. Uh, in conclusion, uh, this is uh, uh, how to be more creative by valuing um, the tensions that we find between our creativity and our limitations, uh, our critics, the things that go wrong, the things that ultimately might defeat our attempts at creativity. Uh, That when we actually look into that darkness and are determined enough to keep going. We can harness the things that we find in those dark places to be more creative than ever before and to generate outcomes from our creativity that have more value than ever before for us, for our disciplines, and for the people who might benefit from our research.